morning. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I do want to welcome you all Saints Day, and so we're excited to be together. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we're continuing a series called Transform. And we're very, very excited about the work that God's doing at Overlake. We've been using a few different analogies, like the analogy of a caterpillar to a cocoon to a butterfly to talk about the transformation that God is enacting in us. And today I want to talk more about a metaphor of growth, uh, maturity as the process of transformation. The idea that as a child grows into adulthood, Every single phase, every stage of development is important. It's valuable. Every stage can be hard, but every stage can be good and joyful. And as we go to the next stage, we want to remember and and take with us the very best of the stage before us as we continue the process of maturity and growth. The other thing to keep in mind about this analogy is that if you just take a five-minute snapshot of your life, it's really hard to recognize the transformation that's going on. But if you're able to look at the the whole trajectory of it, you take a look at a lifetime within a small amount of time, it's easy to see the amount of transformation that is taking place. So that's what we want to talk about today. And again, you might want to write this down, but we've been wrestling with this concept that transformation is a work of grace. So the transformation that we experience as we grow, develop, and mature, it's all a work of grace. And we keep focusing on the person of Jesus as the one who uniquely brings grace to us. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at this this concept of grace. I want to unpack it a little bit. But Jesus is the one, you'll see, he's the one who uniquely brings grace to us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, a couple of verses, the disciple of Jesus, John, he is talking about this unique position that Jesus has. He says this, the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus coming uh, to us. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. And when he says we have seen his glory, he's not talking about we collective. He's talking about me as a disciple and a few others. We have seen his glory. Like eyewitnesses, we hung out with him for three years. We saw the crucifixion. We saw the resurrection. We. It's not we, we. It's he, we. Okay? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father Full of grace and truth. Please circle that phrase. Full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What's he talking about? He's talking about how we have all received grace from God. Our heavenly father, our creator. God has poured out his grace in so many ways. Blessings, provision, kindness, laughter, love. There's so much goodness that has infused the earth. There's all kinds. Theologians call this common grace poured out on on everyone. No matter where we live, no matter when we live, no matter what we call ourselves. That is God's grace poured out. And Jesus is now pouring out additional grace upon grace already given. And then it says, for the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth, again, circle that. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. It's so funny that these concepts of grace and truth are are sometimes in a little bit of conflict or tension in our lives. And and what's interesting is Jesus came, he didn't bring truth over grace. And and Jesus came and he didn't bring grace over truth. He, He brought the full measure of both 
grace, and truth. And I know sometimes the reason why grace and truth are intention is because of what we prefer. We tend to prefer one over the other. Right? In fact, think about you growing up, maybe in your life. Think about the parents that you had. Maybe one of them leaned a little heavier towards truth and, and the other leaned a little heavier towards grace. Which one did you like the best? Yeah, it's so interesting. We're, we're kind of wired like this. Let me tell you when we like truth. We like truth when we're dealing with someone else's mistakes. It's easy to deal with truth when it's someone else's mistakes. But when we're dealing with our mistakes, what do we want? We want grace, right? We, hey, be gracious with me. That's my ouch. That's my hurt. That's my wound. That's my mistake. Be gracious. But your mistake? Ah, oh, truth, you know. And we're ready. And, and here's Jesus, right? The fullness of both grace and truth. Now, what is the truth that is revealed through the person of Jesus? If you're filling in the blanks, here's the truth. Card, hold, t- cold, hard facts. Sorry, not card, hold. Co- hold, forget it. Here it is, right here. The truth is that Jesus meets us as sinners who need grace. This is the truth. The truth is we're sinners and Jesus meets us with his grace. So here's the fullness of truth and grace unpacked through the scriptures. Here here we go. Romans 3, 10 and 11. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. The Bible's really, really clear about this, not just in Romans. That, that many ways we read this, in many places, that, that humans, we've all gone our own direction. We've all rebelled against God. We've all set ourselves up to be little gods of our tiny universes. We've all thought that we know better than God. We're going to choose what we want regardless of what God says. We've all done this. All of us have fallen short. We've all chosen sin over relationship with God. So, so all of us are sinners, right? That's a universal reality when Jesus meets us. But then look at this. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, God saved you by his what? By his grace when you believed. And you t- can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Please circle the word gift. It's a gift. Jesus says, you are a sinner. That's truth. And I paid for sin. Now, go and sin no more. And if you go and sin no more, you can be sure that I love you. To the end of time, I love you. And if you can't go and sin no more, and if you actually go and sin more, you need to know that I love you till the end of time. Because my love for you is constant. My love for you is a given. My love for you is limitless. It's everlasting. It's unconditional. That's his love for us. But Jesus says, go and sin no more because he knows that sin has a gotcha associated with it. And some of you right now, you could raise your hand and give a testimony to, yeah, I spent a season in sin and then there was a gotcha. The piper had to be paid. There was some kind of a result of my sin, and there was pain because of it. And so, yeah, I could give you a testimony about how sin has a gotcha. Others of you, you might be right in the middle of a story where you could testify, you know what, I'm living that gotcha right now because of the results of my actions or my choices because I thought I knew best. I, I did these things. I chose these things, and now I am living in pain, and there's pain around me because sin has a gotcha. And still others of you, you haven't experienced that gotcha yet, but you're afraid of it. You're afraid that something in your life might come to light. 
You're afraid that some, some choice you've made, some decision, some action, that's actually going to be discovered. And so you're living afraid. You're living in fear. And just that fear alone, friends, is a part of the gotcha of sin. And, and, and so I, I just want you to understand that Jesus says, I love you no matter what. But sin has a gotcha, so we're to go and sin no more. But here's the thing you need to realize. What we are becoming now, we will be for eternity. And transformation is a work in progress for each and every one of us. And the transformation that we're looking for, it's a gift. It's a gift that God has provided to us through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to unpack three different aspects of this gift that he's given us. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one, we, we talked about this past tense, that we have been transformed. And the reality is this is called justification. Justification. That's the theological term for it. And this happens the moment that you trust Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sins. You place your faith in him is another way to say it. Or you believe in Jesus. And we've sung before and actually when we came to the Lord's table we were, we were thinking about this. That on the cross Jesus, he paid the penalty for sin. He took our sin from us and then he gave us his righteousness. This is what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So we didn't earn this. We didn't do anything to deserve it. This is simply a gift that Jesus has offered to us. This justification of our sin so that we're now right with God. And it results in an entirely new and transformed life. This week I read a story about a homeless man who found a, a lottery ticket in New York City and he redeemed it. It was the winning lottery ticket and he received $243,000 a year for the rest of his life. Now that transforms a person, does it not? The idea is that, that now his whole life has changed. He's no longer going to have to get his clothes from the, from the rescue mission. He's, he's no longer going to have to look for some safish place to sleep at night. He, he now has this incredible new life that's offered to him. And, and he didn't earn it. It's just a gift, right? He just receives it. He could go back to his, his old way of living because that's sort of his default and he might feel comfortable in that. But check this. He doesn't have to because his life has been transformed. And the point that I'm trying to make is receiving the gift that Jesus offers you, it's far more awesome than just a winning lottery ticket. It transforms us not only for this life, but for all of eternity. Look what it says here. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends, this is a promise to anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus. That old, not living with God, living on my own, that, that life, that's gone. And now we have this new life living, uh, uh, empowered by the relationship that we have with God. And again, it's all a gift. It's, it's all through his grace. What happens, though, is even though we start it by grace, we think now it's up to us on our own strength, our own power, our own cleverness, our own commitment. We think we're the ones that are supposed to handle this thing, and we forget that, no, no, this whole thing is sustained by grace. 
It would be like this. It would be like we decide that we're going to go on a little uh, group vacation to Hawaii. That would be nice, right, all of us together. Uh, you know, just one or two hotels would hate us. But, but we would come and we would, we would go to Hawaii together. And so we all get on, you know, some airplane, 747. We're heading across to Hawaii. We've, we've you know, launched. We're now up in the air. We're, we're at cruising altitude. We're at cruising speed. And about halfway through our trip, I decide, you know what, I feel like, I feel like we're going fast enough right now. I feel like we're high enough right now. I think I can make it the rest of the way on my own. And so I open up the door and I just take a step outside because I'm just going to coast into the islands from there. And, and what happens? Obviously, I'm fish food, right? Obviously, I fall. And because I've opened the door, so do you. We all crash and die. Not a very fun analogy. So... Why do we do it, right? We do this spiritually speaking. We start the process by grace. We receive this new life as a gift from God. And, and, and because of what Jesus provided, we receive it by grace. And now we're up and we're flying. And then we think to ourselves, oh, God, thank you, but I got it from here. Th thank you for, for starting this thing, God, but now I'm going to take over on my own strength. I'm going to do this on my own power. I'm going to make the calls from now on. And, and we just drop. In fact, in Galatians, this is called falling from grace. And it has nothing to do with losing your salvation. What, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes Galatians, is talking about, he's talking about we start this process by grace, and it's all sustained by him, and yet we think we can do it on our own. This is what he says in Galatians 3.3. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You see, grace is the gift that transforms us. And let's just be clear, we cannot do this on our own. That's why I had you circle the word gift, because this is a gift from God. This is a gift that Jesus offers us. In fact, if you want to remember the word justification, because it's kind of a tricky word, just remember this. It, it, it means just as if I've never sinned. Because that's the gift that Jesus offers us. And we cannot earn that on our own. We cannot accomplish that by our own power. It's only received as a gift. Now, I know that in a room this size, there, there may be some here who have never placed their trust in Jesus. There may be some who have, who have never said, Jesus, I want to receive the gift that you offer me, the gift of forgiving my sins, the gift of giving me your righteousness, of making me right with God. And if you're here today, I, I want you to know today is a great day to make that decision, to place your trust in Jesus. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But I want you to think about today being a great day for you to place your trust in Jesus Christ. Justification, right? This is that we have been transformed. The next truth is this, that we are being transformed. It's present tense, and this is called sanctification. The theological word for this is sanctification, and it's where we are right now. Hundreds of you, thousands of folks at Overlake, we are all pressing into this reality together. We're going through the Rooted 201 devotion guide together. In our life groups, we're pursuing this. Our young adults, our students, our elementary school kids. We, all of us are trying to press into this transformation that's happening right now. The sanctification that, that's going on within our hearts. 
And again, we realize that we do not achieve this on our own strength. It's all powered by God. It's all a gift of his grace. If you go back to that lottery winner, you realize that now that he has millions to his name, he doesn't have to work really, really hard to earn those millions. Right? He didn't deserve those millions in the first place. Nobody deserves to win the lottery, right? But he didn't even win, he didn't even buy the ticket. He just found the ticket. So this guy, doubly stoked, right? And it, it represents sort of how amazing it is that our lives are being transformed by God. Because when we are justified by God, when we receive the gift of Jesus Christ, he does something to us, within us. What he says, God says, I will actually put my law in their hearts. Look what he says here in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is God speaking. He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So for this work of sanctification, God is at work. He's putting within us the truth that he wants us to know. He's putting within us the way that he wants us to live. In fact, I found this quote from a writer, author, pastor named Dwight Edwards. He says, within every believer, the desire to do the will of God is the gift of God. The desire is not something we try to conjure up, but something already there needing only to be nourished and appropriated. Isn't that good news? God has already placed within us the desire to follow him, to to live the life that he's calling us to live. Now, I I do recognize that, that we stumble. We all stumble. I stumble. So when we stumble, what is it that we're to do? Well, if you're filling in the blanks, the first one, when we do stumble, right away we confess. Right away we, we confess. We just call, it a, call ourselves out before God. God, this is what I thought. This is what I, I, you know, my, my fantasy was. This is what my behavior did. That, you know, these are the choices I made. We just, confess to the Lord right there. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins right away. We receive his forgiveness when we confess our sins. He's the one who is making us righteous, cleansing us from our unrighteous choices and thoughts, desires, etc. And the encouragement I have on this, friends, and you might want to write this down, it's keep a short account with God. In other words, this confession that we go through, this is something that we're to do with great regularity. I would encourage you to do it daily, uh, you know, at least weekly, that, that we would kind of take this moral inventory of ourselves again and again and again. When we find that we've been leaning a- away from God, we find that we've been trying to do our life without him, we've been finding that we've been making choices that we know are outside of his will, we confess those things, right? We turn from those things. And then, number two, we press on. So we confess and we press, right? We press on. We lean into the life that he's creating within us. 1 Peter 1.13 and following from the message says, So roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of, of evil, doing just what you felt like doing. You didn't know any better then. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. All right, 
So when I stumble, I confess and I press, right? I, I, I want to do this with great regularity because I want to be embracing the sanctification that God's doing inside of me as I walk with him. Now, a, a question that comes up is, why does this process seem to take so long? We talked about the process of maturity from growing from infancy into full maturity. And that process takes a long time. But why is it spiritually that it seems to take a long time in my life? I feel like I, I want to change and I desire change. And, and sometimes I see change. But other times it's like two steps forward and one step back. And how come sanctification takes so long? Well, I'd love for you to think about the difference between um, a weed and a tree. Right? I, I grow weeds in my yard without any effort whatsoever. Uh, and I do want to clarify, I said weeds, not weed. <laughs> Dude, he said weed. <laughs> if Pastor Mike opened a pot shop, he could call it holy smokes. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about weeds, right, and they grow up overnight, and they grow big, and they're, they're noxious, and they're worthless, and you don't want them, and so you try to get rid of them. And it's interesting that that sort of happens spiritually as well. The, 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 the little sort of sinful weeds in our life, they seem to spring up and grow without any effort whatsoever on our part. But contrast that then to a tree, a beautiful oak tree. It takes years and years and years to grow to maturity. And the roots grow down deep, and they, and they nourish the tree, they sustain the tree, and, and they provide a, a, the ability to weather any kind of a storm. And the, and the tree is beautiful, and it's lovely, and there's value there. And I, I want you to see the difference between those things, because the change that God is working in your life is a change that he wants to be eternal. He doesn't want to just change you for the short season. It's not just for today or tomorrow, for next month or next year, the changes that he is working in your life and in my life, these are changes that will impact eternity. He's forming your character into one that will be ready to be in eternity with him forever and ever, amen. And so yeah, it's gonna take a little bit of time. It's, it, it's gonna require some diligence here. In fact, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity, that God does not want to make me good his desire is to make me perfect. And the process of making us perfect is called sanctification. And that process is a gift of grace. Brings us to our third truth that we're going to unpack here. And this is our future tense. We will be transformed. And that is called glorification. Theologians call that glorification. And this will happen. Our sanctification will be complete when we stand face to face with Jesus. We will be glorified in his glory. God will deliver us forever and ever from the power of sin and temptation. And that's what we get to experience when we're with Jesus. The word that I want you to associate with glorification is this word, full maturity. That we will be fully mature. That our minds will be fully mature, our hearts. That, that, that we will see and have a perspective very, very similar to the perspective that Jesus has. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15 says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Please circle that phrase. 
will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So we're growing more and more like Christ, and when we see him, we shall be like him. Our, our minds right now are being grown into maturity, but when we are with him, we will be fully mature. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about this perspective change that happens as we mature in our relationship with Jesus. He says this, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In other words, he's talking about the maturity of perspective that he has. He has a different view of things now that he is mature in the Lord, yet gaining in maturity. And, and again, that process be complete when we're with him. But I have often thought that if I could have this maturing perspective, if, 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 if I could be a little more mature in my thinking, then I would see sin the way that Jesus sees sin. If you think about that, it's it, really interesting. If, if we could see sin the way that the Lord sees sin, it really would change the attraction we have to it. Because we would see the way that sin hurts us, wounds our hearts. We would see the way that sin hurts one another, people that we love. We would see what our sin cost God. And we would, it would lose its appeal. Right? We, we would have a distance from it. Our hearts would not be brought up right next to it, but we would be mature in our thinking, and we would see it as it really is. And in order to really illustrate dynamically maturity in our perspective, I want to point you to a movie, Caddyshack. Highbrow comedy, very theological and intense. And, and in this movie, there's a classic scene in which there's a, a country club pool that's very full. And at this pool, somebody places within the waters of this pool a candy bar unwrapped. And it's just floating along the surface. Do you remember this scene? Anybody show of hands? Do you remember this scene? So it's floating along. Many of you haven't seen this. And really, you're, you're missing gold. I'm just telling you. Uh, so this candy bar is floating along. And the, the music to the movie Jaws is playing. And everyone in this, in this pool sees the candy bar and they just, in terror, they, they flee out of the pool. And, and, and so they have to drain the pool. The janitor comes in, he's scrubbing everything. And then he walks over to the candy bar and, and he picks it up. He sees that it's a candy bar and he takes a bite out of it. Now, here's the great reveal. The great reveal is the candy bar is a baby Ruth. And I just think it's very, it's like a dubious award to be the candy bar associated with looking like, uh, I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> By the way, last night was Halloween. How many of you had kids go get some candy, trick-or-treating? Anybody have a kid, trunk-or-treating or anybody? Okay, so if you're a parent and your kids have a bag of candy today, I want you to understand that in our house, we have a thing called a daddy tax. 
And so if any of you are tempted just to go into that bag of candy and remove one or two of your favorite treats, just tell them, Pastor Mike said it's okay, all right? That'll win me great points with your kids. All right. Back to Caddyshack. I want you to, I want you to reverse the analogy for a moment. Reverse the analogy for just a moment. That it, 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 the world says, hey, look, it's no big deal. It's just a candy bar. Putting yourself first. But you look at it with a mature perspective. The world says, hey, look, it's, it's no big deal. It's just a candy bar. It's, it's sex outside of God's plan. But you see it with a mature perspective. The, the, the world says, look, oh, it, it's no big deal. You, spend your money on yourself. Or, 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 hey, it's no big deal. Like, step over people on, on the climb up the ladder. And, and, and it's harmless. It's just a candy bar. And you look at it with a mature perspective and you say, I don't eat that. And it's not because you're self-righteous. It's not because you're holier than thou. It's not because you're paleo. <laughs> the reason why you don't eat that is because you see what it is with a mature th- framework. You see what it is with a, with a mature spirit. You, you, you've been maturing, and you're more mature now, so your perspective is, look, I know what that is. It's chocolate-covered diaper fodder, and I'm not interested and, and, and so it changes the way that you think when you're brought to maturity. And again, this is a process that's going to last a lifetime, and it's not going to complete until we're glorified with the Lord in his glory. But a mature mind is not just something that we determine to have. A mature perspective is not just something that we strive to enact or to live with. A mature mind requires dependence upon God. And what I want you to see most clearly today is I want you to see that that first step, that justification step, that step, receiving that gift, it's it's a work of grace. And that second part of the process, sanctification that we're in right now, that is sustained by grace. And the third part, this glorification part, when we stand face to face with Jesus, it will be completed by grace. That the entire thing is a work of God's grace, of God's gift to you and to me through Jesus Christ and what's been accomplished. How we lean into him, press into him, our intimacy with him, all of this is an aspect of his grace. In fact, I love this verse from Philippians. It says this, Philippians 2.13. For God is at work in you, within you, helping you, look at this, want to obey him, and then helping you do what he wants. See, not only is God helping you to do the right thing in your life, to, to do the thing that he's calling you to do, he's helping you want to do the right thing. He's working on your desires and he's working on the outcome. He's working on the behaviors and the desire to do the right behavior. God is at work within you. He's helping you want to follow him and then he's helping you to actually follow him. What this means is that all the work is God's work. All of the heavy lifting that's being done in transformation, it's all being done by God. And so we lean into it, we press into it, we embrace it but we do not achieve it or manufacture it. We just receive it from God. I wanna close with this. I saw a poster once of a kitten hanging from a branch. 
And the kitten was hanging, you know, kind of by the claws from a branch, and, and it looked fairly desperate, and the, and the caption said, hang in there. And I laughed when I saw it, because it, it was a kitten, and the kitten was very cute, but I knew that that kitten would grow up and to be a cat, and I was not taken in by its cuteness. But the great news of the grace of Jesus that transforms us forever and ever, the great news is this, that Jesus meets us hanging desperately from our branch of sin and says, I love you right there. Jesus meets us in our desperation and he sees us when we're wounding ourselves again and again and again and he says, I love you right where you are. Jesus meets us when, when we have no hope, and Jesus comes to us and says, I love you in the midst of your hopelessness. I love you perfectly right now. And that is true, and that's grace, but I, that's not the full part of it. Because Jesus comes with the full measure of both grace and truth. And so his grace says, I love you perfectly right where you are, and his truth says, but I love you too much to leave you there. And so the full measure of grace and truth is Jesus says, I see you hanging desperately from that branch of sin, and I love you too much to leave you there without placing you on firm footing. Jesus, I see you wounding yourself again and again and again, but I love you too much to let that continue. Let me heal you so that you can be an agent of my healing into your world. Jesus says, I see you without any hope whatsoever, and I love you perfectly right now. Now let me come into your life and give you a hope that will sustain you today and carry you into eternity. See, he loves you perfectly right now, but he loves you way too much to leave you alone there. And so friends, what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity today to place your trust in him. Again, I want to speak to those who maybe have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. You've never placed your trust in him. Today is a perfect day to do that. And in just a moment, I'll give you a chance to pray with me. And, and simply what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me the righteousness that we've talked about today? And would you let me follow you? I want to be in relationship with you. And I, and, I, and I want to see these things we've talked about, being justified, being sanctified, ultimately being glorified with you in eternity. That's what I want. Uh, for many of you, you've already said yes to Jesus. And you've been walking with Jesus, and, and, and this is, these are realities that you do know, and maybe today was a good reminder. But for you, the challenge that I have, this is a great day for you to place your trust in Jesus again. This is a great day for you to recommit yourself to the transformation that he's working out within your life right now. It's a great day, in other words, to press in to what he's already accomplishing within you. So here's what I'd love. I'd love to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Why don't we pray together? Jesus, we recognize that you are the one who uniquely brings grace and truth into our lives. And so Jesus, it's to you that we pray. We pray that you would Forgive me today. We pray that you would forgive my sins. On the cross, you paid the penalty for them, and I, I want to receive the gift that you offer me of forgiveness today. And Jesus, we also ask that, that you, would, you would give me your righteousness, that we receive your righteousness. Not only do we, we receive that you're going to take up my sin from me, 
but we, we receive the righteousness that you want to bring to me, that you are declaring us righteous today. We receive that as a gift. Jesus, we receive your salvation that you offer, that you save us today. You save us from our circumstances. You save us from ourself, and you save us for eternity. And we're excited about being in heaven with you forever and ever. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would show us what it looks like to really press in to your transformation in our lives. We love you. We want to work with you. We want to partner with you in our transformation. We are excited to continue the process of being sanctified, and we long for the day when we're glorified with you in heaven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.